0: You are listening to the Hockey Heaven Podcast.
1: And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous Forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup!
2: the
3: dragon Alex hey guys and welcome to episode six of the hockey heaven podcast today we are welcome enough or lucky enough to have special guest John Grant with us a former NHL ref uh we're extremely grateful to have you here thanks John
1: yep thank you guys for having me appreciate it welcome to the show
3: so I guess we're just gonna start her off here and uh just you know try to understand your journey to the NHL and uh, you know, what made you want to be in a ref?
1: So I initially started playing hockey uh, where I grew up in Colorado. I was about five, six years old when I started playing. And as many people's uh, careers do, they end because they aren't good enough. Um, I went and went to college in Colorado and I was a broke college student. So I thought what better way to one, make money and two, Stay involved in the game than refereeing. And so that's kind of where things started. Um, refereed throughout college and then from there had the opportunity to go referee junior hockey. Um, moved to Minnesota and drive all over the place throughout the Midwest to referee junior hockey. Did that for two years through um, several of the junior leagues and a little bit of minor pro before. Moving on to the Central League and American League, where I lived in Texas for three years. Um, so double A AA and triple A level hockey for two years and then was hired by the NHL in the uh, spring summer of 2012.
2: Interesting. Did you, did you have to apply like on a website somewhere? Is that open to applications?
1: As far as for junior hockey, pro hockey, the NHL, um, in what regard?
2: Uh, Did someone contact you? Did you know someone? Like, How did you get in to the NHL,
1: basically? So the entire development process works a lot like a player. You really do just work up through the ranks, through a scouting (laughs) program. The NHL officiating department has their own scouting department. Where they are going through each of the minor leagues, through each of the junior leagues, and evaluating referees and linesmen, um, and making recommendations to the leagues above them, and you just work your way, th- much like a player would. Oh, that's interesting.
0: That's really interesting. I remember uh, when we met in person, I asked you this, but I wanted to know, or want everyone to know, uh, how, like, how busy is the schedule as an NHL ref?
1: The schedule is incredibly busy. So we work 73 games a season. Um, That's just regular season games. Then you'll work about six uh, preseason games. And then if you're lucky enough to work the playoffs, you're working anywhere from, you know, a handful in one round, three or four in one round up to uh, 20 or so if you work all the way through the finals. Wow, that's crazy. And, you know, we're traveling all the time. So I was away from home about 25 days a month during the hockey season. Jeez.
3: Was that kind of why you
1: stopped doing it? Um, The travel was incredibly difficult. The NHL transitioned a little bit in their officiating hiring practices where they decided to go more towards a former player movement. Um, more particularly former pro players that they were and are now continuing to develop as officials.
3: Hmm. That's interesting. So did you, were you like in contact with the, this the scouting, um, what do they call it? Is it just the NHL ref scouting?
1: I mean, it's all part of the NHL officiating department. Okay. And so what they do is they will come and watch games. Um, the American league is a perfect example just because it's the level right below the NHL and they'll come in and they'll give you a game evaluation where they talk about things that you did well, things you need to improve upon. And then after the game, they'll finish their written report and submit that into the NHL's database. So for everybody to see, that's awesome. So
2: do you have a ref? Oh, go ahead, Dan. I'm guessing that works the same way for picking which refs
1: get to ref the playoffs then, right? Yes, absolutely. So they do the same thing with NHL games. Um, they come down after the game, we talk about the game, and then they submit their report. And that's exactly, there's a, it becomes a ranking system throughout the season. And that's how um, officials are selected to work in the playoffs.
2: Jeez. So right after the game, you just get someone coming down and like, oh, you blew this call, you
1: blew this call, like... Uh, They try to be a little bit more constructive with that, not necessarily (laughs) black and white, but um, how to handle situations, positioning, um, how you could have improved on a call by improving either your positioning, hustle, whatever the case may be. Cool.
3: So did you have a favorite ref growing up?
1: So, growing up, up, obviously, watching hockey, the guys like Bill McCreary and Nick Magoo are the more famous referees. When I really started to get into it, and, you know, I'm a big guy, I'm 6'6", and so I start to be attracted to more towards the guys that fit my kind of style on the ice. And so a guy like Pierre Rassico, who has worked many many stanley cup finals and is kind of my size and build is the guy that i really started to watch and kind of develop my game after and cool. the nice part about okay. that is that i was then fortunate enough to work my first game in the nhl with pierre oh that's awesome oh, that's pretty cool
0: was he or did you have like a favorite ref to actually work with
1: You know, I love working with Pierre. I love working with Wes McCauley. It's all the guys that really have this ability to keep it light on the ice when you're under this ridiculous amount of pressure and anywhere from 15 to 25 different camera angles depending upon the game and you're just constantly under the microscope by everybody. The guys that have the ability to keep it light are the best guys to work with.
3: Yeah, that's a, I, I can agree that's with that. That's a good that. point. As a player, especially, I know I was a goalie. I played junior, and it was always nice just chatting to the ref in between whistles, you know, and they come up and make a joke at how, you know, I got lucky there, or, you know, the post saved you on that one. And it always – I always appreciated
1: it, so.
0: Speaking about the pressure, did you – like, do you feel it when you're on the ice? Do you feel like you're under the eye of the NHL?
1: You know – It's more of one of those things on a game to game situation and just the tension rises in some games. Obviously, um, I never worked in the Stanley cup playoffs, but I worked, um, five Calder cup finals. Oh, wow. wow. And the pressure is just mounted every round you go further and further into the playoffs. And so you start to feel a little bit there. um, but regular season type stuff, game to game, you don't really feel it as much there now. Gotcha.
3: So do you, for a ref, it must be hard. Everybody has a, you know, they're former players. They watched the NHL growing up. They must have a favorite team, right? Is it hard to stay non-biased or does the, or does the uh, NHL not let you ref? Like maybe your childhood team growing up, Do they do they have any rules about that?
1: They don't have any rules whatsoever. Um, oh, wow. Part of it is just the expectation of maintaining your professionalism. That's the career you've chosen. And so, you know, integrity is such a huge part of our business that, um, you know, they don't really have any issues with that. The other part of it is, is, that on the ice, you really don't have time to even think about a bias in any way. You <laughs> see the play, you yeah. react to it. And you make the call without even having those other thoughts going through your head about, oh, you know, I was a fan of this team as a kid. You know, maybe I should make this call. I mean, it just it happens so quick. You wouldn't even have time to think about that, even if, you know, integrity wasn't a part of that equation. Gotcha. Who is your favorite team, by the way? You know, I grew up as a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. Being from Colorado up until 95, 96, we didn't have a NHL team here and it just, you know, the Leafs were not, obviously they weren't great in the early nineties, but they were decent and they were making playoff runs and I was able to watch them. Um, but obviously once the avalanche came to town, that became kind of the primary team that I was watching every night and um, going to games and that. So Having the opportunity to watch those teams win multiple Stanley Cups through, you know, high school and that was very, very exciting.
0: Did you enjoy refing in Colorado at Pepsi Center?
1: I'll say I enjoyed it because I was home. It certainly isn't my favorite building to work in. There's, you know, I could think of half a dozen off the top of my head that I enjoyed working in more just because of the atmosphere that those buildings have.
0: Well, let's lead into that then. What's top three or guess whatever you think are your best?
1: So top three, um, without a doubt, are Chicago, Montreal, and New York.
3: Montreal,
1: yeah. <laughs> they the, the, the fan base in Montreal is so well-educated about hockey, and yeah, they yeah. live and die on every single play. Yep, yep. Like no other. I mean, you know, I, like I said, I was a fan of the Maple Leafs, but it's such a business-type crowd in Toronto that you don't get the same type of atmosphere that you do in Montreal.
0: You're making Grayson's day right now. He's a huge Habs fan. Yeah, so no.
3: <laughs> I, I'm, I'm from Calgary, and I go to a lot of Flames games, and it's usually kind of like a more heavy drinker, kind of drunk uh, atmosphere. But, but the first time I went to Montreal, and I was sitting in the stands, I was just in awe of the building, and you know, you look up at the rafters and you see all the names. But the the environment of the fans, you know, they're they're all talking about the game, and like, you know, they're they're making these like, oh, what a dumb play, oh, or what a great save. Where in Calgary, it's more like laughter, but it's just kind of get drinking, having a good time. So.
1: And, you know, Montreal is one of those cities. There's If you're involved with the team or the NHL in any way, there's no blending in. No. You go out and you go to eat after the game and everyone recognizes who you are. Yeah. You know, Chicago, It's the United Center's great. The best part about Chicago truly is the anthem because from the first note that the national anthem starts to play, the crowd is just going absolutely nuts. Until the very end. And you haven't even started the game. You're standing at center ice listening mm-hmm. to the national anthem. It's the craziest thing you, I've ever been a part of. That's awesome.
2: Well, in that sense, uh, you know, you talk about having those great atmospheres. But say you call a penalty, it's the home team. <laughs> all of a sudden, <laughs> all those fans are against you and booing. Like, does that get to you? Does that get in your head?
1: You know, y- you you get i get that asked that question a lot just as an official in general and honestly no I you laugh about it because 95 percent of the time the fans are wrong <laughs> yeah.
2: you know you've made yeah. the right yeah.
1: call yeah. they're just yeah. you know wear their heart on their sleeve with their hometown team and they are they're wrong and I just laugh about it and that's probably the common reaction among everybody
3: yeah makes sense <laughs> that's good all right, leading into the next question, do you um, do you know some players off the top of your head that would have kind of the worst reputation amongst the
1: refs or some of the best? You know, there's certainly guys that have fantastic reputations and guys that you love working with because you know that they're just going to be easy if they yell, for one, those guys, you know you've messed up. <laughs> um one of the best guys that I absolutely love is Anze Kopitar. Oh yeah. Um you know, he comes up to me and I'm very very uh businesslike on the ice. I don't tend to smile and laugh a lot. That's just not really in my personality. Yeah. And you know, he's just one of those nights he comes up to me and goes, "John, would you just please smile once?" <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's awesome.
1: It's, it's going back to kind of talking about the guys that you like to work with on the officiating side, those players that can kind of lighten the mood and ease the tension and some of that, it makes the game easier that way too. Yeah.
3: So you and a guy like Shea Weber would, uh, it'd be an Epic stare off then.
1: Um, yeah. Although Shea hit me with about a 105 mile an hour slap shot right in the quad Ooh. one night <laughs> that he was very, very apologetic about. Oh, <laughs> Yeah,
3: how long did the bruise last for?
1: Uh, Close to a month. Did you have to miss any games because of it? No, it dropped me like a bad habit. And I wanted to cry, but didn't miss any time. I was limping around a little bit. but warrior. Wow, yeah, seriously.
3: Absolute warrior.
1: Even the rafts are hockey, hockey tough.
3: Yeah.
0: I'm curious, are there guys that have bad reputations? You don't necessarily have to name drop, but like a, a group of guys like Brad Marchant. Like guys that are pests. Do do they have bad reputations among referees?
1: You know, there's guys that have reputations that we know going into a game, like you mentioned a Marchand, where we know that we're going to have to keep an eye on them because anything can happen at any time. Mm. (laughs) So there's that. Then you have the other group of guys that are known to maybe go down a little soft. Hmm. And that just, just have to <laughs> be aware of those guys on the ice because the last thing you want to do is make a bad call on somebody because a player's involved. Like
3: yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. That's cool. Yeah. And is there like, like, if if a guy dives, is there any dialogue between you two, or Are you kind of pissed at him, or is it kind of just like disappointment,
2: another penalty or something like that?
1: You know, it really depends on the degree of what they're doing. Are they? Because one, those guys are paid a lot of money to win and they're just trying to gain a competitive edge. But if they're making it bad enough where they're almost embarrassing us, that's where the dialogue starts. But you really have to be careful about how you do it Um, and not just flat out calling guys divers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And saying, you know what, like, we don't need any help calling penalties. There's enough of them out here. We'll find them without your help. That's a good way to do it.
0: Uh, speaking on that, we're, most of the time when you call a penalty, Like, would guys accept it and be like, yeah, shit, you got me? Or was it most of the time they defend themselves?
1: Uh, you get a little bit of both. I mean, and it's not necessarily good player, bad player. It's, you know, sometimes they know it, but they're just frustrated because of the way they're playing and they have to take it out on somebody. They're not going to take it out on their teammates or their coaches, so... You know, we're the easiest target in that sometimes. But the guys, for the most part in the NHL, are so respectful and understand the job that we do and the job um, and what it took to get there that most of the time they take their penalty, they understand it's part of the game, and they move on. Interesting. One more then.
0: How, how often do you get, like, cussed at or cussed out by, by a player?
1: There's a lot of it that goes on that you would never really see. You know, the most common thing, obviously, I was a linesman, so I'm running face-offs a lot of the time, and, you know, they cheat one, we throw them out, they say, you know, would you just drop the fucking puck? <laughs> yeah.
3: I think I think a lot of fans are saying that, too.
1: And Yeah, a lot of fans, you know, and then my response is, well, you know, would you just put your fucking stick down? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's I love great. it. <laughs> And, you know, that's that's a lot of what goes on for linesmen. Uh, you know, the guys, the referees are getting yelled at a little bit more. Um, and it's all, you know, more they get yelled at for calls that players think should have been made than ones that are actually made.
3: Yeah. Well, you talked about being a linesman. And another thing the linesmen do are breaking up fights. Now, I know you were involved in uh, that Flames Canuck line brawl. How was that experience for you?
1: That game was one of the wildest of my entire career. Should we, should we explain
2: more kind of what happened in that game for the people that don't remember?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, first off right away, we dropped the puck and we had a line brawl within one second.
3: Yeah. Everybody went.
1: And, um, moving on. I mean, we had multiple line brawls in that game. Fortunately, no goalie fights um and then at in between the first and second period uh tortorella tried to go down into the flames locker room to fight bob hartley were you involved in that
3: like what did the refs get involved in that at all
1: not in the hallway uh we got a phone call in the ref room saying to turn on hockey night in canada so we could see what was happening (laughs) which we were already very well aware of because we had the game on in the room yeah but uh No, at that point, once it was off ice and the security was there and that was kind of out of our hands and more of a league administration issue at that point. Hmm. Um, But the on ice stuff, even leading up to the game, the off ice crew brings in the starting lineups before the game. Yep. And we're looking at them and we knew we were in trouble, right? away
0: (laughs) Because
1: (laughs) both teams had all their tough guys on the ice and in the starting lineups and we just, we knew it. Um, you can't see me in any of the video frames that you watch on the internet, but you can see my partner. He's almost lined up on the wing with his whistle off ready because he knew it was going to happen. Yeah.
3: <laughs> there was a, um, it was a kid's first NHL game and that Lane in that game too.
1: Kellen, yeah. So man. Kellen Lane was lined up at center and I can't remember if it was I think McGratton that came up, um, and was going to take the face off. And uh, the Canucks defenseman BX BX, BX, took one for the team and ended up actually taking the center ice face off. The worst part about that for Kellen Lane is because he was involved in a secondary altercation. His first NHL game lasted one second with a five-minute major for fighting and a game misconduct.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. What a way to start your career.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think Tortorella took a little bit of heat on that one and and actually took a little bit of the blame there and said you know what when he saw Calgary's lineup he never should have put him in the starting lineup yeah but it's just kind of one of those things that's so common among you know if you're a rookie and you're playing your first NHL game you get to start that's long-standing yeah. tradition and yeah. Yeah. unfortunately just went the way it did for Calgary. he was a big kid too he held his own decent absolutely he was I mean he was just as tall as I was maybe a yeah, little bit yeah. more wiry but he was a big kid and he did just fine did you know they actually put like a steel door
0: in rogers arena now because of what happened i like, had no them. idea like, that yeah, is. yeah they put an actual like barricade now between the two locker rooms because of that That's game
3: crazy all right well do you have let's let's go into some more rule stuff do you have well, a actually
2: hold on
1: uh, we did talk about goalie fights did you ever have to break up a goalie fight at any level um, not in the NHL, but I've broken them up in the Central League and in the USHL and North American League. So it's pretty totally much so every hot, level so but up. the NHL.
2: Those tennies like to toss them.
3: I fought a player once. That was my claim. <laughs> was a you and Ray Emery. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I got ran about three times in one game, and I said, you know what, enough of this. So I chased a guy in the corner, and my defenseman – you know, kind of pinned him against the boards and uh, I got to throw a couple at him. It wasn't, really, it wasn't really a fight, but all right. So let's go more into the rule stuff. Do you have a least favorite rule or like maybe the strangest rule you can think of?
1: You know, I really am not a huge fan of the delay game for shooting the puck over the glass. Um, I think you're seeing that less and less as we've gone over the years from that rule, but it can be such a game-changing rule at times. And there's so many times where it's really hard to determine if the puck was deflected or not. Um, So, I mean, as far as that rule, I think they would be smart to, if they're going to continue to keep it in the rule book, which there's no reason to think they won't, to make it at least reviewable or challengeable by a team um, to see if it was deflected.
2: Smart. Yeah, surprised they don't do that already. Actually,
3: yeah. Speaking of reviews, I, I we had a question I was going to ask a little later. Do you think that reviews, maybe for just just refs, if you guys would be able to, you know, look up uh, the play, do you think that'd be helpful for you guys, or do you think that would just delay the game too much?
1: You know, so I work college hockey now, mm-hmm. and we actually have the ability to go in and review potential major penalties. I love that. There are certain situations where that would be extremely beneficial. Um, We have to have seen a penalty to be able to do it. So there has to be a minor, but then you can actually go in and review it to see whether you want to call a minor or major on a play. And that would be incredibly beneficial in a lot of situations.
3: Yeah, I know – I kind of thought of this just based off that San Jose Vegas incident that happened with Joe Pavelski, right? It would have been probably real beneficial for the refs to be able to look that one up and see what actually happened.
1: That's such a unique play because trying to, for the officials on the ice, trying to determine whether he was injured from the cross check, yep. the contact with the Vegas player or the ice. Yeah. yeah, and determining where the injury actually happened, I mean, there was a lot going on on that play between the face-off, which is, you know, a lot of players in a, in a small area anyways, yeah. to yeah. just everything leading up where now you have Pavelski bleeding all over the place. It was a very difficult situation for those guys that I am not enviable at all and yeah. certainly would have made it easier if they had been able to go review it. If you were
0: if you were on the ice in that situation, would you have handled it the same way as them or like do you think they did the
1: best they could basically? I think they felt like their hands were tied because they had a cross-checking penalty, and if you have a cross-checking penalty that produces an injury like that, you don't really have a choice. Right. So they determined essentially that the cross-check is what injured Pavelski and now it's an automatic major penalty. Gotcha.
3: All right, well maybe more rules here. I know goalie interference is a hot topic for a lot of fans. A lot of the analysts that work on Hockey Night in Canada always talk about it, or they don't know what it is anymore. Do you, do you have a definition that you could give of what it is or what you think it
1: should be? So the contact certainly has to happen either deliberately or within the crease. And so when we would talk about goalie interference every year at training camp, we would look at videos and show, you know, whether or not it was a deliberate act by the player. And those are very, very easy to see process and either assess penalties or um, disallow goals. The harder ones is where there's inadvertent contact between the player and the goaltender. And then determining where that contact takes place and then beyond that, whether it impacted the scoring of the goal. Hmm. Um, If the, if the contact happens within the crease and it impacts the scoring of a goal, it's, it should be disallowed in my opinion. Um, But where you see there's a fine line on with goaltenders being on the outside of the crease many times, Um, that contact happens. It's inadvertent contact, incidental contact, just outside the crease. And in my opinion, those are good goals. Interesting.
3: So if the goalie is outside of the crease, you feel like it should just be a goal no matter, right? Even if there's some contact?
1: If there's some contact, as long as it's not deliberate and intentional by the attacking player, um, it absolutely should count. The crease is there for a reason and that's the goaltender's protected area. If he's outside of it, not to say he's fair game, but he loses some of his privilege
2: and that's the rule right now, right-hmm yes
3: that hurts my uh my inner goalie in me I just, <laughs> want, I just want all the goalie interference calls <laughs> um well then let's just jump into the playoffs here and kind of get your thoughts on what how you think it's been because it's been pretty crazy so far.
1: I mean just the number of game sevens and then, you know, seeing uh last night's game seven was the third game seven of the playoffs already to go into overtime. Yeah. Like yeah. that's yeah. unheard of. They've been incredibly competitive, you know. Uh we talked about the penalty in the Vegas game, but that comeback alone on the power play, nice. that game was incredible and extremely exciting. And I can't imagine how you couldn't be a fan of the game after watching after watching that. Amen to that.
3: Yeah, it was definitely exciting. I felt real bad for Vegas, though. On the flip yeah. side, it was like, why didn't she just kill the five minute major, right? Yeah,
1: I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of things like you can't allow four goals on a five minute yeah, major. Yeah, no. <laughs> and it's unfortunate as much as that happened, but uh, you know, you shouldn't be allowing that many goals.
3: No. Yeah, good for San Jose.
1: But I mean, the playoffs as a whole have been very exciting. Some of the more uh typical teams particularly from the Eastern Conference that you see year after year getting beat, you know, Pittsburgh getting swept. And, you know, then the excitement of everything going on in Carolina, which Don Cherry doesn't necessarily like, but <laughs> they're bringing in a non uh hockey market and getting excited about a team. It's I fantastic. think it's great. Yeah, agreed.
3: Yeah, they've done a great job marketing-wise and, you know, especially in that state we were talking about our, our last episode where I think there's kind of been a hunger of success in California for, or not California, Carolina, Carolina. uh, in terms of sports teams, uh, winning, I think the hurricanes are the last team that's won out of the the major teams there. So.
1: I mean, right in that Raleigh Durham area, really, I mean, college basketball is king and you know, it always will be, but to have a professional team there in that area that the community can get around. And I mean, they tailgate games. Yeah, it's. It's awesome. It's a very unique experience when you're going to a game, especially on a Saturday night there and you've got, you know, the people are out with their grills and hanging out and drinking before the game. More it's a of great, a, it's a great it more of a football uh, vibe there. What's that?
3: More of a football vibe. Would you say kind of very like much NFL so? Yeah. I
1: mean, it, it very much reminds you of like a, either a college or NFL football game yeah. type atmosphere, not necessarily to the scale, but the same type vibe.
3: Yeah. So it's probably been pretty exciting for you too. I know you're from Colorado watching the abs and their success. They've had, uh, how far do you think they can go?
1: Well, I haven't looked to see what's going on in the second period here yet. You know, they're a little bit ahead of schedule where everybody thought they were going to be, um, Kale McCarr has made a great impact on the team so far since, uh, since he finished up with UMass in the championship game in the NCAA there. He's a very exciting player. Um, You know, Sam Girard has made great strides this year on his defensive game, which is helping them out a lot. And then, you know, the emergence of, you know, Nathan McKinnon was a Hart Trophy finalist last year, but really is becoming a dominant player in the league. And I just think they're a little bit ahead of where everybody expected them to be. Now, knowing that they would be playing St. Louis, they don't necessarily have a great record against St. Louis over the last couple of years. I think they can beat them. Um, but I think you know everybody here in Colorado would be very happy to see them make the Western Conference Finals, for sure. And Thanks. on a side note, all their games seem to be at eight o'clock here locally. So I don't think I've been to bed before eleven thirty between <laughs> the Avalanche and Nuggets in the last two weeks. That's right. Yeah, the Nuggets, Nuggets are too. in the playoffs too. It's an exciting time for Denver. It's, uh, after tomorrow night, it'll be sixteen straight nights of playoff games here in Denver. Wow, that's awesome. Wow. That's, that's awesome. Fantastic.
3: Um, Well, I think that's going to wrap up the interview here. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate being able to share some of the stories and kind of look back on my career. It was fantastic. I'm still loving doing college hockey, miss the NHL at times and, you know, obviously love the game and will always be a fan. So thank you guys very much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot, John.
3: Well, thanks again to John Grant. Uh we're going to move into our thoughts on what's happened uh in the second round here and kind of move into our predictions for the third round. Um the Colorado San Jose series is in the second period right now, so hopefully it's over by the time we get to them or, you know, we have a better idea who's going to be the winner. Um so let's start off with, you know, the war of the series that was Boston and Columbus, guys. Zane, it looks like you were the winner on this one. The, oh the yeah, prediction. yeah, you were. I'm a little surprised, to be honest with you guys. I don't know. This one, you
2: thought after Columbus, you know, swept Tampa Bay that they are actual contenders and gonna win it all.
3: Yeah, I mean, I and I thought that the rest was gonna really help them against Boston and just the type of series it was gonna be. I'm 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 pretty surprised. I mean, I think Rask played way above everybody's yeah yeah. and i think he's probably the main reason why boston won i I think he is the reason why boston won and um yeah i mean i I mean it always sucks to lose to a hot goalie but uh it happens shades of Tim, tim thomas man like yeah definitely he he played extremely well um there's like a stat guy that I saw where um, he does like goals, expected goals against certain goalies, and I know that Rask was in like the bottom, the bottom segment of like the playoff goalies, and he moved into first place after this series, so like he played really well. Um, who do you guys think kind of made the difference, player wise, for Boston? Like, did you think that there was a certain player that really elevated his game? Oh, I, I thought
2: Tugarask
3: Yeah, well, to Rask. I thought uh,
0: Posternak looked really good. That whole line. Uh, looked a lot better than they did in the Toronto
3: series. I think uh, a lot more dominant overall. I see. I actually thought it was the opposite, and I thought that Charlie Coyle and that Marcus well, Johnson played sure. really, yeah. really well. But you didn't um, think that? So I thought that
0: line poorly. was was like much maybe more towards the end. Maybe towards yeah, the, of the two yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, at the, the start end, of
3: the it, it was at the start of the series. It was it was definitely. I think. That Charlie Coyle line that really pushed the yeah spirit for Boston. no for
0: sure for sure they definitely their depth helped uh, but I think by the end of that series that top line was dominating like we're more accustomed to to seeing
2: yeah. so yeah well the the thing on Boston all year was that they were one line team you know they had Marchand Bergeron Pasternak and for them to have a, a Car- Charlie Coyle step up Jake DeBrasis, is crazy, the second line and the and the depth guys step up that's the that was the difference for them
3: yeah it's kind of crazy how both these teams you know the GMs. Uh, made decent moves at the deadline, and you know it was kind of a war between whose moves would pay off more. And I guess that leads into my ne- my next question for you guys is like, where does Columbus go from here? I mean, they're missing their first and second round pick. Uh, they're it's, missing their first four picks this year. They could
0: be in a lot of trouble if they lose Bob and and Panarin, uh, which is looking you know very likely. Uh, so I'm actually really curious to see what happens because they kind of sold out for this year. Yeah. And kind of hoping that maybe they go on a deep run far enough to convince those guys to stay. I mean, obviously, beating Tampa is huge, but, you know, only winning one round is, I don't think it's going to convince those guys to stay. Um, we'll see. It all comes down to money, but.
3: If they have to try to convince one to stay, like, you're going to keep one of the two Panera or Bob. You think it's Bob? Got to be what Bob. What do you think, Zane?
2: Oh, man, it's probably Bobrovsky. He showed you can play in the playoffs. I, w- I would want to keep both if I were them, but you know, losing both at the same time, I don't think they're completely screwed. They're going to have a lot of cap space to work with, and it's a pretty decent free agent class with uh, guys like Errol Carlson or, uh, um, or Jeff Skinner. Uh, you know, Also, Duchesne's a free agent for them as well, so they could potentially bring yeah, him that's back where right. he's gone. That's right. uh, this is going to open up a lot of cap space, and it's going to be interesting to see what Keke London does and how much he spends on free agency and I'm assuming they're going to be very active in the free agent market this year
3: I think they got they got right? like, to be right they have thing, to be so why yeah. not <laughs> yeah. yeah that's their draft spend some money get some
2: low term high price uh, players and and see what you can do
3: so do you think the Ottawa boys stick around then do you think that the Zingle and uh, Duchesne are oh, going to be oh definitely be not
2: there? after getting scratched he's out of there for sure nah, he's probably going yeah
3: yeah probably and then dushane what do you guys think i think he played pretty well in the playoffs
0: i thought he played really well in the playoffs i bet he stays um right. for a lot of money though a lot if he stays it's going to be a, a large contract for sure
3: they're going to have money to throw at him for sure
0: exactly and i think so they're he, going to toss a lot
2: the thing with dushane i think he's looking to play obviously he's looking to play for a contender he wants to win and he might do the same thing he did in Ottawa. Wait to see what the other guys are doing. Is Stone going to resign? Is Carlson to resign? Nope. Okay, I'm out of here. Peace out. He sees that Panarin's gone, Bobrovsky's gone. He'll be right out the door with them.
0: Yeah, if they both leave, then that team's gonna basically like if they don't sign free agents, they're
3: all of a sudden team tank with no draft picks. Like, well, let's let's try to think positively here. Is there a way that this team can sign all three guys? Yeah if
0: one of them takes a discount to stay in Columbus, but <laughs> if like no salary, that's not going to yeah. happen.
3: Yeah. Well, if they if they sign Panarian and Bobrovsky, both those guys, right? And, like, do you think Duchesne would take a cut to stay there? or do no, I don't think he'll try take it, a cut. Maybe let's try to run it back? No, you don't think so?
0: No, nah, because they can just go play for a better – or not a better, but a similar contender somewhere else.
3: Well, what's the contract situation on, uh, like, Wierenski and uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois? Because they're probably – Pure Lucic is. I think they're so coming off their, EL, their. I think ELC he's coming easier. off.
2: The, I think they have to pay him this year, so uh, that's oh, part of the God. money that will be. Uh, that will be spent on him. Uh, I wonder though if
0: he takes like a two-year like. Oh no, he's still good million.
2: for one more year. Sorry about that.
3: Oh, is he? They're still okay. Good? Yeah, he's okay.
2: still good for one more year, so they can spend a little bit.
3: What about Warenski?
2: Warenski, is. He's up, so they got to pay Wrenski this year.
3: Okay, so what do we think Wrenski's going to make? Like six? Mm, yeah, probably right around six, six five, five, five and a half. Jones six, is making six, five.
2: five four, so probably around there. Five which four. would be a great contract for him.
3: I think I think I'll, I'll probably think make closer
2: this. to six. Yeah,
3: Jones, on, Jones' contract is real. Is, he's is on a really such good a good team. Yeah, that's con. really good.
0: Like yeah, yeah. I bet yeah. it's more six range. He's gonna win a Norris in that contract.
3: Yeah, I mean, you look back at that Ryan Johansson trade with Nashville too, and you kind of oh,
2: Columbus blew it out of the water.
3: Yeah, you kind of oh, robbed yeah. them
0: there. huh? Oh yeah, absolutely. And and that's not to shit on Johansson; he's a good player. But I mean, the contract that Jones is on, and just his his play, his damn good trade.
3: Well, he's gonna be like kind of that new. I don't think there's ever really gonna be like that straight like kind of shea weber tough guy anymore and i think he brings some grit while also having a lot of skill right which is kind of i think it's gonna start to be rare for some guys yeah uh, on the back end because it's really moving towards you know good skaters that can transition to puck up the ice fast so yeah for sure um yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see what Columbus does, but let's uh let's transition here into the other series that ended last night. It was an absolutely fantastic game. Dallas St. Louis it was just a great series all around.
2: <laughs> that that ending, that second and third and and overtime periods were just a little bit lopsided. Oh yeah. my
0: god, dude. Ben Bishop was a king last night.
3: Like I I was feel he? so bad for him was he though what do you i mean? don't know man i i i dude okay we, i was talking about this about my dad I, if you put jordan bayinson in the net on dallas i think he they, he plays better i i don't know if his rebound like bishop's rebound control is so bad and he just made a lot of saves because he's big i don't Are know you if he's seriously
2: like, shitting on ben bishop right now
3: yeah, I am. you're the goal. You're
2: the goalie guy.
0: Yeah, You've got to back your boys up. I know you I can't mean, stand him. I think
3: him. if you, I think if you were a goalie, you'd understand why I don't like him. It's because he, his butterfly is wrong. How he does it, he drops his ass to the ice, which is why he like, always looks off balance and stuff. I mean, I, I think he played well. I just think he's overrated. I don't, I, I don't think he moves well. I think he, relies on his six, six, whatever frame, which is, I mean, I, I guess that's yeah, fine. Yeah, you have it. You yeah. want it. I yeah. think a lot of credit should be given to the Stars' defense and clearing the puck away from the front of that because there were a lot of rebounds that were laying there, a lot of pucks that squeaked right by them and just barely missed. Um, hey, if it doesn't go in, yeah. it doesn't count. Exactly. Yeah. No, no, that's true. But I don't know. Everybody was saying he played really, really well, and it's like, no. Well, I just think St. Louis had a lot of shots, kind of like you know the Carolina thing where they just pepper. Like, how many scoring yeah. chances did St. Louis actually have, you know? I thought they had a to... decent amount, though. I thought, yeah, I mean, like, you know, there wasn't a huge one. Dallas... Dallas
2: had a couple as well. <laughs> yeah.
3: Like, yeah, exactly. honestly. Dallas might have had more
0: with all those wraparounds and stuff. Might have had more, and almost all their shots were high-scoring chances because they only had, like, with yeah. what,
2: three shots between the second and third period? Yeah. I don't know how Jamie Benn didn't
3: score that. I thought the best save that Bishop made was that right after St. Louis scored that breakaway, that was a really good save he made on, uh-huh. on the breakaway there just to – because if they go down 2-0 there, I think the game's over. So, yeah. I'll give him some credit there, but I, I don't know. I just – I watched that guy play, and it's like, this guy really is a Vezina finalist. Like He yeah. doesn't look like a goalie. He doesn't look like he's he's comfortable ever. So, I don't know. Maybe I can get flamed for for my opinion, but just as a goalie, I just died. Uh, uh, he, he leaves a bad taste in my mouth. <laughs> Fair um, enough. But – what did you guys think of Robert Thomas? Because I think that Robert Thomas played extremely well. Like that kid looks like a player. Yeah,
0: he looks he looks good. I'm he so played... glad I picked him up.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I instantly through the game was like, "Hmm, where's Robert? Who is Robert Thomas on a fantasy, fantasy league?" And I looked it up, and you had him, and I was like, "Oh, well, I'm never getting Robert Thomas." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that dream died today. Like, um, but yeah, he's, he's fast. A keeper for me. Yeah, he's fast. Got great hands he works hard i mean that uh, do you guys think he can be a first line center or do you guys think he's kind of a second line guy uh, probably high end second yeah i, I would agree with that I mean, who do they have ryan down the middle
2: right now like they just have ryan, ryan O'Reilly. And shen right so
3: yeah That's i think I, pretty yeah,
2: solid solid lineup there yeah he could definitely push one of those two guys out and be a 1a 1b kind of guy for them
3: i agree yeah um, so moving forward for these two, for, or for Dallas, I guess they're limited. Um, I mean, I know they have a couple players in their prospect system. Uh, and I, Zane, do you know exactly how close they are to the cap? Maybe you want to look that up for me as I kind of ask this question, but what do you think their off moves could, could be like, do you think that they go and make some trades? Do you think they kind of uh, sit still? Like, I think I mean, they probably
0: stand pretty still, maybe if they have enough cap, you know, cap room make a signing, try and sign another score potentially yeah uh, i just don't know They were one goal be. away right they're right. one
3: goal away from the uh from the conference finals yeah so,
0: so i don't think there's any reason to blow anything up no. um their defense goal? is really solid their goaltending was really solid i think they just need some scoring help uh they probably don't have the cap to sign someone big but you know maybe like uh brock nelson or something right like
3: well, I think they gotta re sign Zook, Zuc, right? Zouk is Oh absolutely I, I be- Yeah. so and he looked good that second line looked really good. So I think he's a key he's gonna be a key piece. I think they, they need to get him re signed for that second line to operate the way it did. Yeah. And then I think they just need to look at revamping their bottom six. I think I think that's the that's the kinda of the problem area for Dallas where they they just gotta kind of play like guys like um like Blake Como. I mean He's a decent skater, but he doesn't do much else than that. And I don't yeah. even know really who else is in their bottom six. It's
2: they have like T- Tyler Homo Pitlick, Tyler Yenmark, Pitlick, Pitlick, Faxa, yeah. who's not bad. Uh, so they have to sign Dickinson. So they they are getting a lot of money off the books with uh, Jason Spezza being gone. Ooh, um, yeah, so. Oh yeah, Spezza. That's right. Yeah. Um. Mark Mathot will be off the LTIR for them, uh, and as well, no Martin Hansel so it's one more year, but. They are getting a lot of money, so they do have some spending room to work with, and you know that might be another team that's in on a big free agent this offseason. Uh, I think this class is going to be very interesting to see. You know who goes where and for how much. We might have a repeat of the the 2016 free agent class that just had GMs dishing out cash everywhere. Lee Teach contract and um, Erickson, Erickson, all of the you know, all those big signings that haven't really worked out too well. Uh, we might yeah. get a repeat of that this summer.
3: Well, it's, it's kind of, it's just like a war of who doesn't sign that bad contract, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Who's who's going to be the team that that signs, you know, the guy who's actually going to make an impact and not just be a massive stone wall.
2: There are some good players. Is. Like, it's not like we have a Lee Cheechin and an Erickson out there. Like we going to say, good I think, guys, yeah, this like...
3: class
0: is more loaded, this free agent class than that one was. So, so who do you, who
3: do you guys think are going to be some good like stealth targets for teams like some good under the radar pickups for for these teams to target? Do you guys have any? any I think Jeff Skinner mind, or... is
0: criminally underrated. I think whoever gets him is going to be super lucky. Uh, I know he he's a he's a big name, but uh, under the radar, I think Brock Nelson's a good player. Um,
3: I think Jacob Truba could be a good pickup. Truba could definitely be a good pickup because I think he's gone. I don't think there's yeah. Yeah, much uh, Winnipeg can do to keep him. I don't think he wants to be there. So honestly,
0: I think Jake Gardner is going to be underrated just because people just you know you look at his playoff. Jake performance. Jake Gardner, Jake the Snake, hard boy, Jake Gardner. Honestly, in like in reality, regular season,
3: he's a pretty, he's a great regular, yeah, pretty
0: solid offensive defenseman, and no one just sees that because of his playoff performance. So I think whoever gets him, well, it's actually it's going to be a really good signing. On the opposite end of that, I know we talked about this a little bit before the show. I think whoever gets Tyler Myers is going to be. Uh, Very disappointed, very disappointed. Uh, I I thought he was a good defenseman. I think I thought he was younger than he was. Yeah, he's reaching or he's past his peak. He's just in a decline. He's going to want. Yeah, he's turning thirty. He's going to want probably six years and a whole lot of million. So, uh, thank you. No. Oh, this is to you, Jim Benning. No, (laughs) don't do it. (laughs) No,
3: bad dog.
2: Bad Jim. Yeah. I'm gonna just gonna go with the top dogs. Whoever gets Panarian pretty much wins for agency and oh, yeah. or whoever offers sheets Marner.
3: Whoever offers sheets marner, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. No, I think we can get yeah. back to the playoffs though. So. I think I think um Yeah, I, no, let's let's go back to the playoffs. We'll save it for maybe after, but um, we'll have a free discussion come July. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll have a we'll have a little discussion. So we talked about Boston, we talked about Dallas. Um what was the oh Carolina, New York, but we already kind of covered that last week. So why don't we just jump into the third round here while we wait for the kind of what's happening in the Colorado san Ace game? uh Let's start with the Carolina Boston series that's going to happen. Go Canes. It's going to be a fun one. Go, go Canes? Canes, Canes, and Canes,
2: and Canes and
3: six. Canes and six?
0: Canes and six? Yep. I think Bo- it's got to catch up to Boston. I think it's their. Fatigue. They're not the youngest team. I think it's got to catch up to them. And I think the Canes are absolutely rolling right now. Um,
3: they don't have a goalie, man.
0: Dude, he uh, what's he his back? name? look good. Uh, what's McElhinney? his name? looked good.
3: Yeah, but for how long?
0: Yeah, I, don't th- I don't think I don't think this is, gonna be this is coming
3: long. from this is coming from Canes' number one fan right now. <laughs> I know. I know. So we've like we've but, like flipped. I don't. I don't know, man. I, this one. So the way that Rask is playing, and like I don't know, is Mrazic going to be good when he comes back? Is McLean? There's a lot of question marks to this team, right?
0: There is, but I think
3: I don't think they can lose at home. I really don't. You don't? Yeah, that's... I, I'm going to go Boston in seven on this one. So okay. I, I'm I'm sorry I uh I can't do the I, I'm I'm off I'm off the the chaos. I might be pulling
0: at you right now the abs in five thing I'm gonna, I might have to trace back in a week <laughs> or so and record again. I'm yeah, a little nervous um, about that so maybe I'll say Canes and seven then just just to cover Canes my butt.
3: Okay yeah I I think that one's probably a little more I think this one goes to goes to seven for sure. Um I'm just I would probably say Carolina but I'm I'm really nervous about the goaltending situation. For them yeah. right now, and Mrazek being hurt. If they had Morazic and he didn't get hurt and he still looked as good as he did, I'd be like, I'd probably say the Canes. Yeah. Just because I'm. But, but I mean, just, on the experience... other end, does, does
0: Tuca keep it up? Like, he's never been this consistent of a goalie. Man, I said for two.
3: I said for two rounds now that I don't believe in Tuca. So now I'm gonna say I believe in Tuca, and he's gonna shit the and bed. And yeah, he's gonna so. shit the bed. <laughs> <laughs> this is class, and I'm okay with that. If if it yeah, takes me yeah. to say uh, that Tuca. Is you know <laughs> me being the Habs fan, if yeah. that's what it takes them to lose, I'm I'm cool, I'm cool. Fair enough, it's all good. Enough. What do you think, Zane? Give give us your I thoughts. You got Bruins Boston to win,
2: right? In six, yeah, I still have yeah. Boston to win it. Uh, you know they're they're showing that they have the forward depth that was kind of criticized for them all year long, and and the goaltending stepping up at the right time. You know, with a goalie gets into his zone uh, during the playoffs, they they usually tend to stay in that zone, and I think Tukarask is doing a great job and. And they'll continue that against Carolina. You know, Carolina just played the the Islanders, who, yeah, they had Matt Barzell and Everly, but you know the high powered offense of the Bruins with with Pasternak, Bergeron, Marchand, like that's gonna that's gonna end up taking them down. Uh, you know, they almost got taken down by the Capitals, but they were able to sneak through. I don't think they're gonna get through this series.
3: All right. Well, Bruins I think six. one thing one thing we kind of didn't talk about during the Boston Columbus series was. Something that's going to affect the next series, which is Charlie McAvoy's going to miss Game One. What a shit that. hit that was, by the way. By the way, what? So, do we think one game is enough? Eh, because, because I think he's not I, a, repeat a suspension, offender at right? All, right? That's a oh, suspension. Oh yeah, 100
0: percent a suspension. I mean, that is the definition of a suspension. Shoulder straight to the guy's head. Like, yeah, 100 no, percent. I agree. Should have yeah. been, should have been two games. But it's the playoffs, so.
2: Yeah, they have been calling two games for that all year. So I guess two regular season well, games converts to one finals. playoff game. Yeah. So, which this
0: brings me back to the Aaron Rome hit back in 2011, which got you got suspended for what like six games.
3: Oh, against the Nathan Horton. Yeah.
0: yeah, and it was like yeah. the same. It was like the same hit. It's nah, just I don't think it was. because this one wasn't okay. late. No, it wasn't. But was it was it? M- the the Rome one wasn't even really to the head. It was just more late. And at that plus point, Rome.
3: Uh, or Nathan Horton was like lying on the ice unconscious. So that yeah. kinda yeah. I mean, at that Anderson point, at that point in the
0: game, the still the the uh, you know the physicality was even more. So I, that's I just yeah. I, whenever I, I see a hit like that and get suspended, one game I, I I always think about just how ripped off we got. But yeah. Anyway,
3: <laughs> um. Well, I know Brian Burke did a segment on yeah, that's what I was, Canada yeah. where he was talking about with Ron McLean kind of. The conversion, yeah, the conversion rate between regular season games and playoff games and even like going deeper into the playoffs. And he said this one game in the conference finals is almost it equals about six games mm-hmm. of regular season time. So do we think that hit is worth six games in the regular season? Being I think Brian better. Burke's
0: conversion is a little off. I, I um, was just gonna
3: say that. I was like, I don't <laughs> think that's <laughs> No. Like if they're gonna give him one game. It might be it be six, might be four in like,
0: the regular season though. I could see four games.
3: But you think it was that bad? It's, it's just textbook. I don't think he got hurt.
0: No, but he get hard Anderson's, to play though. Which that's because he's a freaking monster. He is but a monster. Uh, uh, I don't know, man. That that's pretty textbook shoulder to the head, like right yeah, to the that's head, a pretty right, hit right to where the they're head. trying to stop. Yeah,
2: yeah. it's yeah, got to be at least one game, and I, you know, two games seems devastating. But you know, for a hit to the head, that's kind of deserved. And the NHL needs to crack down on those hits to the head. Uh. I think one game, sure, all right. But next time, I'd want two games.
0: For if for he this does it kind again, yeah, absolutely, yeah, at least two. So you think this? Uh, well, they called two games affects? during the regular
2: season. They called two games on Connor freaking McDavid for a hit to the head.
0: That's right. That's right.
2: And because Connor's a goon. Yeah, yeah, a straight yeah, Con- goon. Straight up goon. But Dirtiest you know, you need to set life. a precedent. A hit to the head is this amount of games. Yeah, no, I agree. This was the same hit as what happened in in many regular season games, and they all got two games. This only got one. That doesn't make sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, for sure. It's it is because of the playoffs, but it it really shouldn't matter. Uh, yeah, Why, well, if you
2: can say if you say then hey, playoff games will suspend less. Oh, uh, well, you're yeah, opening you can a can do of trouble. But then yeah, you're, exactly. You're opening a can of trouble if you do that.
3: All right. Do we think this affects? boston in game one at all do you think they win game one still do you think they lose game one what do we what are we what are we feeling here
0: they're at home right yeah they're at home boston's at home yeah yeah they probably win game one
3: well i think to your credit this is how i see carolina winning this series right they win game one because mcavoy's not there they Mm -hmm. lose the rest of the games in boston and they win all the games at home (laughs) and they win in game seven like that i think
0: i think they take one at boston i don't know if it'll be number one or, uh,
3: i guess i'd be six they'd win in six then because game seven would be in boston yeah yeah so
2: that, that if they are going to win the series that is how they're going to have to do it if they're not able to pull out a game one win i think they are screwed and there's a good chance boston will actually steal a game in carolina
0: yeah. I'll i'll say if they don't steal a game in the first two i don't know about game one necessarily but with if they lose both in boston i think they're in big trouble
3: Another hot topic kind of regarding the Boston Bruins and Brad Marchand is uh, oh God, his, interview, his, interview. His, his interview stuff he did with um Kyle Bukoskis and the whole, did you sharpen your skates thing? Um, what do you guys think about that whole thing and how he handled it?
2: I think actually Marchand handled it fine because, you know, that first, it was a pregame interview, right? About yeah. the skate? Yeah. Yeah. It, he made a, he asked a really dumb question. Uh, or yeah. he's trying to sure it's a dumb a question but
0: but Marchand brings it on himself when he does stupid shit like that
2: that's fine but you're a reporter
0: I think it's a fair question to ask no sure yeah. but uh, the way
2: that handled it, it's fine
3: I I guess okay. I, I think the question he asked I think I was fine just because the way he asked it he didn't ask it like it wasn't serious rude. he was joking. yeah it was kind of a like, joke he was yeah. he was trying to joke with him like he yeah. was kind of going like hey and he did that in previous games when he talked about sacrificing sticks. He, he asked him in a very similar way, he's like, you know, is this, are you going to sacrifice another stick tonight to get the win? That's or, right. Yeah. And Marshawn was fine. His, yeah. So yeah.
2: that's something that sacrificing a stick, yeah, he, that's something he did and he publicly said that he did and he's proud of. Whereas, you know, breaking a guy's stick with his with his skate, that was highly controversial. Like, that's not something yeah, that. It's because Marshawn is an idiot. Doing. Yeah, no. that's so fine. But him, asking him the getting question upset. About that?
3: Yeah, he's allowed to. He's media.
2: Fair. Fair enough. He's allowed to ask that question. And Marshan did, you know, what he, you know, he did the right thing. He skated away. He didn't answer the question. And I love afterwards, he didn't give him the, that reporter the respect.
3: No, I see. Okay. You, you get. So you don't answer the question. You go, yeah, whatever. Skate away. That's your response. That like it's over now. He, he, he was he. He was an asshole. He skated away. Well, that's that's fine, if you think it's a dumb question. But the next time you just won Game Seven, and he he's giving you an interview, and that's what's on your mind is that stupid comment he made. Well, after and did you see? Win game seven. He,
0: it was the same way with all the other reporters in the locker room too. After like he just yeah,
3: he's just a moron. He's just I'm a, sorry. He's, yeah, he is. He's an it's ass. A completely unprofessional. And after you win Game Seven, that's how you're gonna act. Yeah, he's an ass like that. Like. And, and and especially because you're Bradmore Sean, man. Like, what do you expect? You can dish it out, but you can't take it?
0: That's See, that's what oh, bothers I, me, is that he I can dish like it, he can it and he can do it in antics. Back.
2: I feel like he's dishing it out back. Like,
0: yeah, he's, he's not going to give that reporter he's not, that He's proven that he can't take it. He he's acting proven, like a spoiled child. Yes, yeah, that's what I think. Is because he does these antics, which raise questions. And, you know, he, if he's not going to be willing to answer for his antics, then, you know, that's just soft. And
3: I Yeah, he, it's extremely soft. And I hope he gets chirped. I would chirp the shit out of him on the ice for it. Oh, yeah. Like, what a absolute <laughs> he baboon. He would chirp him. you like,
2: harder right back. <laughs>
3: I'm sure he would. Then we drop I the match at him. Drop the I would, I, would, I would just laugh at him or give him one-word answers, just like he did. I, I don't know. Yeah. And, I, don't I mean, know. I I, under, I get. Marshawn is a – that's who he is. But – and, I mean, yeah, credit. You're getting under my skin right now by even, a, like, doing that. But, <laughs> I'm just playing um, devil's advocate mean like – no 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 no, I get it but I I definitely think that that's just really unprofessional you're getting paid that much money like that's part of your job is for media you're not supposed to be a dick towards the media like that be a dick towards the other players in the ice who are making that amount of money do you think Kyle Bukoskis is making bank to ask Mm, these questions he doesn't deserve to be treated like that yeah I agree like it's just ridiculous
0: to give him credit he handled it pretty well with his like you know I see where this is going so I'll just ask you
2: one
3: more yeah he handled
2: it well he did. It wasn't I like agree.
3: it wasn't like Kyle Bukowskis went like, um, he continued to ask full him D- dumb questions mode. and yeah. was being like like a Brooksy move. You know what I mean? Right. If he if if Bukowskis went full Brooksy on him, then I would have been like, yeah, sure, Marshawn's being fine. But the, he was joking. He just he did a little light joke. Was like, oh, okay, he skated away. Didn't get mad that he skated away. Handled it like a champ, and said, oh, I guess he's a little sensitive towards that topic. I. You know what? Cool. I'm gonna back off. Whatever they laughed about on Hockey Night in Canada. Move on. It's yeah, over. Yeah. Exactly. We don't need to be, a, especially, especially how we handled after, the, like in the dressing room towards the other. one. Oh, I know. That, yeah, was that was completely ridiculous. It's just, it's completely ridiculous. It's
0: really unacceptable, I think, for a pro athlete after Game Seven, you know, to be like that. I just think it's kind of embarrassing. But he doesn't yeah. care. He he doesn't care at all. So.
3: Well, that's who the Bruins are, right? Yeah.
0: Uh, quick update. Avs scored, uh, so it's three two. I was gonna say we could probably get close to calling this thing here, and, but it's 3-2. the Avalanche scored. Yeah, and they just about put another one in about ten seconds later. So they're pressing right now.
3: Well, yeah, I guess I mean like we can talk about this series and how it's, how how it's gone. Yeah. Um.
2: Well, let's actually talk about round three. You know, which of these teams have a better matchup against the Blues? Like, which team can pull out the win against them?
3: I think they both lose. I think, really, you think they both lose? Uh, yeah, I don't. You I don't. Probably. Think probably. I tell you why it's because I have the Blues winning the Cup. So, well, <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. I don't. I don't. Yeah, I think the Blues have some. I think there's something special going on there. That that city and that they've lost 42 times in the playoffs. They've never won the Cup before, and I think they're sick and tired of it. And this year they're gonna they're gonna get it done. And I think. There's a lot of depth in that team. Their blue line's good. Their goalie has stepped up and they've rallied behind that young kid. And especially how they played in that game seven. Fifty what were the shots? Fifty five to twenty four? Like, come on. Yeah. Right? Like
2: yeah. Uh, Oh, they're dominating a entire Dallas team, you know, that just didn't have it at the end of the at the end of the series there. Uh you know, the playoffs are so tough and like you see Columbus, you know they sweep Tampa Bay, and all of a sudden they lose in seven. You know, that could very much happen to the Blues as well.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that the San Jose San Jose gives them a shot at uh, being, yeah gives them a harder uh, matchup. Yeah, but that's just because the ABS are more
0: of like the wild card team. I, I don't know, but they've they've held their own
3: really throughout this playoffs. Yeah, yeah, they've done a gr- they've done a great job. I mean, like. This series has gone very back and forth where one yeah. game one team dominates one t- you know what I mean yeah. but this has probably been the closest one to actually like close play. Yeah, I have I haven't watched it so I can't comment on that but um I do think just going back to you know the Sharks versus or the, the Avs versus the Blues I think that the defense of the Sharks or not the Sharks sorry the the Avs would it maybe get eaten alive a little bit by the Blues forward if the Blues yeah. are able to Get the puck deep. I know that the there's a lot of smaller defensemen on the Abs and there's a lot of bigger forwards on the Blues. So over a seven game series, I think that St. Louis probably takes it to him a little bit and mm-hmm. just you know waits for them to make mistakes because they are a young team, right? So yeah, yeah, um, yeah.
2: I agree. I have the Sharks actually beating the Blues in seven games, but I have the Blues beating the Avalanche in seven games. So
3: okay. So why do you why do you have the Sharks beating the Blues? Talk about that.
2: I I honestly it's just because that team after that first round controversy of them winning that if they get past this series there's no stopping them. They're really? they're yeah it's just just a team story they you know they they need to win it for Jumbo Joe they you know came back from being down three nothing in the third period and and won that game like they it's just going to push them forward and keep moving them forward. And they're going to go all the way.
3: See, that's interesting. It's kind of like the two cities that have been starved of cups. They you know they've gone to the playoffs a whole bunch of times. They're very, very similar stories, right? Where they're just like enough is enough and they're trying to win now. Right.
2: Yeah, we it's we all somewhere. know. You know, we can all root for a team. But we all know Boston's going to end up winning, and it's going to be the lamest ending to one of the most. No, exciting they're levels. not. Oh so, no, no, no. And I love the East. It's going to happen.
3: I, I don't think so. I don't think so. It's that's so probably on. the
2: worst case scenario. I know I have them picked, but that's probably the worst case scenario in this playoffs is Boston. Winning, I think. Right?
3: I I mean I have it ranked. I think St. Louis is the best team, and then I probably have San Jose, and then Boston, and then Carolina. Like of the remaining, best to worst, yes,
2: but like the worst team like in the terms of they won it in 2011 recently whereas these
3: other teams haven't won it in so long or haven't won it at all uh but that that can make that can make a team motivated right like i you know boston's been there done that where this st louis and these sharks they've like this is it right i mean especially for the sharks this is probably it this is their last chance no? Yeah,
2: it, this is their last chance,
3: you know. I don't think Jumbo
2: Joe's body <laughs> holds up any yeah, longer. It's here. definitely
3: his last chance. Um and I'm not a Sharks fan in any way, but uh I do respect it what they've got going on and they, they they can I mean, I think they're one of the three teams left that can probably win the cup, so um Agreed. I think that I think the Saint Louis and San Jose series three goes teams to left. S- what? I said one of the three teams left that could win. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't think Carolina can win. Hey, hey, it's we're done. calling it the oh, wow. Blues
0: and San Jose Series. The are still in this thing.
3: That is true. Yeah, yeah, but I don't think that the, the abs could beat St. Louis, where I think that the Sharks could beat St. Louis potentially.
2: I'm totally down for some quadruple overtime tonight.
3: <laughs> yeah,
2: that'd be awesome. I'm all
0: in. I'm all in.
2: I just want is, one of uh, those to happen. Doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter when, you know, either this year or next year, like let's get a quadruple overtime game and have an EHL this year. I want to see it so bad. That'd be awesome.
3: Um so are we consensus kinda Who's who's gonna win in the third round, I guess? Is it more are we I don't know, Ben, did you say St. Louis or did you say Uh as much as I would like to say the ABS if they get there, yeah, I think St. Louis wins that series. Okay, sure. so me, so me and you are on the St. Louis train, and and you're on the in I'm six. I'm halfway. You're halfway.
2: Yeah, so I think they'll beat the Avs, but not the the Sharks.
3: Okay, well, I I got the Blues. I think they'd beat the Avs in like five games, and then I think they'd beat the Sharks in like six. I think it's six or seven for sure. I. Uh, and do you have the Sharks in seven, Zane?
2: Yeah, both games, both series would be going to seven
3: okay um it's an interesting playoffs for sure
2: one of the most wildest yeah, it's been, ones we've it's seen that's been uh, crazy all the upsets and all the game seven overtimes uh, it's playoffs to remember for sure
3: okay well let's wrap this episode up with um some talk about the oilers they, they just made their gm signing i'm kind of surprised that they went with uh ken holland I, I was pretty convinced that maybe ken would try to hold out for the seattle job so uh what do you what are your thoughts on that a resident oilers uh Resident Oilers fan, there's in,
2: yeah. He kind of said, uh, you know, uh, he was happy, he was kind of you know, not happy to step down, but he kind of understood what was going on. And he, he kind of knew that in a few years that maybe he'd get the itch back to go be a general manager again. Um, but it turns out, you know, the second he got a plane out to the next scouting trip, uh, he wanted to become a GM again, <laughs> like he wanted that role, he wanted to be that guy. So, um, I'm not surprised they went with Ken Holland and just because of the way that they handled their last general manager signing the way Bob Nicholson handled their last uh, signing there was no interview for Shirelli it was basically like hey this guy's available I know him from Hockey Canada come be our general manager and that's kind of the way it worked with Ken Holland even though you know we were promised a long long process with a lot of interviews and, and it turns out they just did the same thing but what I want to talk about is actually the press conference that they had for the Oilers. Uh, you know, you had Daryl Cates the,
3: okay, yeah,
2: yep. yeah, out there with uh, Bob Nicholson and Ken Holland, and Cates and looked a lot worse for the wear in, in years past, and he's kind of been dealing with a sinus infection, a life-threatening uh, life, um, yeah, sinus infection. Yeah,
3: he's got a 50-50 chance, right?
2: Yeah, he's been through three surgeries, He's he's been having an IV bag on 24-7 pretty much, uh, you know, and and he came out in this press conference, and he sat in front of the hockey world, and, and he took responsibility. You know, he said that the Oilers haven't delivered their promise to the fans, that and the Oilers aren't raising their season ticket prices this year. They're adding concession benefits for season ticket holders, and discounts, and arena tours, and open practices. Like they are doing their part to keep the fan satisfaction high, and I I really appreciate that from Daryl Cates and. Um, you know everything that he's been through. I I know his name has been dragged through the mud a little bit in Edmonton, and I hope that completely changes.
3: Well, I actually really I I agree. I really liked the um, the press conference. I I loved what Ken Holland said. I know he talked about how it's not going to be one move. They they have the key pieces there. They have the cornerstones, and they just need to fix some of the you know some maintenance stuff. Basically, like they got to retool that bottom six, bring in some guys from bring in and develop some guys from you know bakersfield and uh you know it's not going to be just one move that fixes everything right it's going to be yep you know five or six moves six yeah and it's going to add up and they got to move that lucic contract they probably got to figure out what what, which guy which contract they want to move on the back end there whether it be russell or whoever it is and to free up some cap space and then try to you know, fix that bottom six and give some, give McDavid some support. So they also got to figure out their goal setting, too, which, it, you know, they got to understand maybe whether, or not understand, but figure out if Koskinen's going to be the guy. And I probably, I don't think he's going to be. So, yeah, they said they're going to be he's looking saying, to
2: get a UFA goalie. You
3: signed Mike Smith? Varlamov?
2: No, God, no, get out of here. <laughs> no, Varlamov? <Mike> <laughs> Varlamov? maybe, but uh, I, I actually do want to talk a little, one more thing about, um, Daryl Cates is, you know, he was told Ken Holland's the guy and and this is who we need to get in order to to be successful and He threw five million dollars for five years 25 million dollars the guy just to get him to come over uh, So, you know full props to Daryl Cates. I have a ton of respect for him and uh, What he's doing to try and turn this thing around and um, However, Bob Nicholson, I don't trust worth a damn <sighs> This guy is so he just seems so shady like your typical business CEO greedy guy uh, you know blaming Toby Reader promising a long interview process and then hiring his buddy from Hockey Canada the second he comes available it just and is it weird to not like Bob Nicholson but to like the Ken
3: Holland signing <laughs> I think you can you can do both You can do both Here's what I'll say about Ken Holland, too, is... A lot of people give him flack in in Detroit, and they, you know, towards the end especially, where, like, he just was trying to suck the... Like, he wouldn't admit defeat, right? Mm-hmm. But he Nicholson? made a good point where or he Holland. said... Or Holland. Like he, like, he he wouldn't rebuild the team. Like, he was trying to... Oh, yeah, he wants to win, like next long.
2: year. He wants to make the playoffs next year.
3: Yeah, yeah, and he said that. Like, you know, next year I expect this to be a playoff team. But he also made really good points where... A lot, I mean, a lot of people were giving him flat for not rebuilding. But when they did rebuild, I mean, there's some good young pieces in Detroit that he got. I mean, he oh, made. Oh yeah. That's it. That, that, that Ditmar trade that he made, uh, to get those picks. I mean, it turned into Joe Valino for like he robbed Vegas. Oh yeah. On that first second round or first second and third for Tatar. Yeah, there's um, definitely like he's a sm- like, My point is he's a smart guy. Like he can he can do he makes good trades, which Shirelli didn't. So that's an upgrade in Edmonton. He's good at drafting. He's I mean he'll, I imagine he'll bring over a lot of guys from his Detroit regime that he trusts, and I think that's good for the Oilers because Detroit has a winning culture, and those guys can help you know bring a winning culture to Edmonton, where the goal is not to make the playoffs once, it's to make the playoffs every year, right, and to make it consistently. Yes. which yeah. uh, the Oilers haven't done in a long time. And that's the playoffs being an actual contender too.
2: There's some criticisms on Ken Holland's track record, uh, you know, extending those contracts and, you know, keeping that team trying to be competitive for as long as possible. A lot of that was from ownership pressure. Just, you know, they had a fading owner and they wanted to win and right there and then they wanted to keep that streak going and you know he did that. He extended that streak. That was his job: go extend the playoff streak. And he did that. Yeah, he screwed up the cap yeah. a little bit for years later, but that's what he was tasked to do: was to go yep. keep making the playoffs. And and now you know they're they're in a rebuild phase, and he's done a great job of of rebuilding that team. The one thing is, he's now going to have to build up a team in a salary cap era instead of just maintaining one, which mm-hmm. is going to be very interesting it's not something that he's done before but with how smart he is and who he surrounds himself with uh i you know i think it's uh he might be able to do it
3: yeah he i think one of the most important things for the oilers is just bringing over guys won before and it it, is not just won once but won multiple times i think Collins won the cup four times if i'm not mistaken and just bringing over guys that have have all from that winning culture. Because the Oilers need that winning culture badly. Oh, hear that. So, you hear that yeah. so
2: much in Edmonton, though. It's, yeah. it's almost like an annoying trigger word when
3: you hear oh, it. I, I mean, that was like in Montreal, man, when everybody was talking about attitude, character, attitude, character. And it's like, and I think this year you really saw that attitude and character took Montreal a long way. So if you can fix that attitude and, that, and and bring that winning culture to Edmonton, I think that they can start to turn it around. If everybody starts to believe what they're doing. And I also thought it was an awesome quote from Ken Holland was when he talked about the, I think it was the 2006 playoffs and he was talking about how uh, when the Oilers played the Red Wings and they lost the Red Wings, lost the Oilers uh, games. I think he said basically all the away games that they played at three, four and six, I think. And they lost all those games. And he was just basically saying that the Edmonton crowd and the environment there when they were a winning team was fantastic. And that's what he wants to bring back to the Oilers yeah. is a, a winning that, that environment and that excitement to help this team win, which I think is fantastic news for the, the Edmonton. Oilers. Well, even
0: two years ago when the Oilers made the playoffs, like they, that's that great crowd was insane.
3: Yeah, no, I agree. It was, they were, especially in that new building, there's like 3000 like extra fans,
0: streamers <laughs>
2: and all kinds
0: of
3: yeah. shit.
2: We had. I mean, people you thought spending, was allowed. Yeah, we had people spending eighty dollars on concourse passes. You didn't even get to view the ice; you just got to be in the arena, yeah, and <laughs> yeah. walking around. Like, no, was, actually, yeah, I didn't know that, yeah, that's there's crazy. eighty dollar concourse passes. You didn't get a. That's a fantastic ice. You were in taking up the bathroom lines, taking up the concession lines, and <laughs> <laughs> that's
3: awesome. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's a that's a Bob Nicholson CEO move right there. Milky oh memory, yeah, that's that's money. the
3: greedy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That that arena is fantastic though. Me and I, I had the pleasure to go to a a game with Zane one time, and we uh we snuck down to the uh the lower level after the after oh, the beauty. first period. Oh yeah, it was, that was good. It was great. It was a good game, but no, that arena is beautiful. And and when that arena is rocking in the playoffs, I think it's gonna be uh, a hard one, a hard barn to play in for yeah. sure.
2: One more thing about the press conference though. Um, sure. Now. There was speculation that Holland didn't get interviewed, and and I touched on that already, but none of the media members asked that question. None of them asked, like, did Holland get interviewed, you know, because everyone in Edmonton's talking about it. Did Ken Holland just get hired off a phone call? Um, But one of the questions that the media members did ask was the complete softball. Do you think it's easier to build a team when you already start with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl?
0: No, I think that makes it a lot harder,
2: actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. So much harder. <laughs> what a stupid question. Like, guys, like, uh, yeah, I know. Edmonton Media is just absolutely garbage. Um, uh, that, uh, yeah. that sucks. I am not... That is that is a horrible, horrible question. <laughs> just does it, it, does it make it easier
0: to have the, you know, best player in the NHL, quite possibly the best player in the entire world? Uh on your team. Does that make it any, any easier? To
2: build your hockey team. <laughs> yeah. Like eh, maybe. Uh, it might. Poor guy. Poor guy asked a question about the new oilers coach, like he posted on Twitter and uh people were just like, Oh yeah, you should ask him if it's easier to play with McDavid and Drys on the <laughs> <laughs> eh, Is it Jim easier to Matheson coach a team of that has
0: two good players. Let's, two amazing let's, players.
3: Fin- let's finish up with that. Let's talk about um who I know he uh Ken Holland said that Hitchcock has probably not come back so Yeah he's definitely um, not coming he's back he's not yeah.
2: It looks like the Oilers actually have six candidates.
3: Okay, can you let's uh, the yeah. name them here. So, what one's
2: Dave Tippett, former yeah. uh, Coyotes head coach among other teams, uh, and now hey. a Seattle advisor. Mm-hmm. He plays a very defensive style role, and uh, you know, he gets the most out of his teams. Uh, he's turned a lot of teams around, and he might be a good. I'm, I'm not completely opposed, but there's better options. Another one's the current assistant Oilers coach, Glenn Gulletson. And also Trent Yanni. Their names are up in contention. I'm not sure why, but uh, let's uh, continue. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jay Woodcroft, he was the former Oilers assistant coach last year. He is heading up the Bakersfield Condors this year. They won on a like, 20-plus game win streak or something like that. And they're in, still in the Calder Cup playoffs right now. Uh, he got a lot of flack for the, the power play success the Oilers had the prior year. It was pretty garbage, but he has turned that... Bakersfield team into a contender. I think there's better options. Uh, Lane Lambert. He was the former Washington Capitals coach when they won the cup and he moved with Barry Trotz to the Islanders and I you know, he's a coach that assistant coach that's coming up and you know, he's been under a head coach. I don't really know too much about him other than he was Barry Trotts assistant. I don't know if you guys know anything about him.
3: No, I don't.
2: And then the last one is my personal favorite and candidate, Todd Nelson, former mm-hmm. Oilers interim head coach when Dallas Eakins got fired. He moved to Detroit where he became the head coach of the Grand, uh, of the AHL team, the Griffins down there. And now he's an assistant coach for Dallas uh, who just got eliminated. So, Wasn't uh,
3: there uh, Ted Nolan too? Oh, I saw his name. Yeah, uh,
2: yeah. I'm just going off the list that Bob Stoffer tweeted out uh he's oh, yeah. kind of just the Oilers' mouthpiece for the for that management group and uh, those. i, I saw names. that name
3: today that's why i was asking if you've seen anything about it because i think ted nolan was quoted that he liked to get back in coaching and he was talked and i think he said the oilers contacted him so interesting maybe they did maybe they're just touching base but so before we talk about who we all prefer i think we should talk about what style we see the oilers playing and succeeding at do we see them succeeding in a defensive no. uh, system? Cause I don't No, run and gun. Yeah. I think that they need to play a heavy speed transition game a lot. Like what the uh, Habs changed to this year. Uh, and I think that will bring a lot of success to, to that team and anybody who can't keep up with the speed needs to be shipped out. And that's on <laughs> Ken Holland. So, um, because when you have a guy like Connor McDavid, who skates as fast as he does, you need guys, who can keep up with them and oh, you yeah. need some, uh, and all four lines need to be rolling like that. Yeah, we, are enough. we are we in agreement there? Fair yes. enough. I
2: think Todd Nelson's definitely the guy for the job. Uh, you know, a lot of players uh, that have played for him talked about that they'd go through a wall for him. Like they they're ready to play whatever style that he he deems. And I uh, I think that's one of the top things that a coach can do is just get your guys to play for you.
3: So, but did he? does he play that kind of style like do you know what what style that the you said he was grand rapids assistant right he was
2: grand rapids head coach and then he became the dallas stars assistant coach uh and they definitely switched to a more you know defensive style later on the year but uh, they did start though with that his style is like yeah for sure but i know that he definitely gets a lot out of his players and uh you know he's familiar with ken holland he's familiar with their organization and i think we can we can give him the head coaching job now.
3: So you're willing to go with a, a newer face guy, unproven. You're you, That's the route you want to go?
2: At the same time, you know, he, he's been there before. He was the head coach of our team. It might have been with an interim title, but he took over a very cancerous Dallas Eakins team and... You know, actually got some success out of guys like Neil Yakupov and and uh, Will Acton. You know, he
3: Neil Akupo- Yakupov. with a Christian. team
2: that has so many duds that the Oilers have, getting a guy who can get the most out of those dud players is what you kind of need in order to be successful.
3: True. Sure. All right, What do you think, Ben? Who would you Who would you hire? Uh, I
0: trust Zane's judgment on this. Uh, I'd probably go the same, same route. Um, okay. I just think they can't hire a guy that's going to press them to be defensive. That's the only concern, because that's just not who that team's going to be. They're going to be running gun. Um, probably so is that the style?
3: Yours. Is that the style that Dave Tippett runs? Dave I Tippett. It, he
0: he runs a defensive. I remember in, when he was in Arizona a couple of years ago. Uh, very defensive, very like boring hockey. Uh, I think he's a good coach, well respected, but I don't think he fits the Oilers.
3: Yeah, I agree. I, I don't care who they hire. They just need to hire somebody who's going to stress speed, moving the puck up the ice and not dumping it in. Like, keep control of the puck, have controlled entries. Everything goes north. Nothing goes east-west. Everything north, up the ice, speed. Like, that's... Yeah. That's how they need to play. Well, if that's everything here... Um, I know the, the Colorado game is just finishing up here. It's 3 2 San Jose with the like minute, left. So. Yeah, a minute
0: 50 left. The Avs have just pulled the goalie. So,
3: Yeah, we'll make sure to touch on that next episode at the start. But thanks everybody for listening. And um, yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Make sure you give us a follow on Twitter at Hockey Heaven Pod. Um, and stay tuned for you know, all our updates and, uh, new episodes also go and give, uh, the hockey gods, a a follow Zane. What's, what's the Twitter handle on that one? At hockey gods. All right. Give them a, give them a follow too. He's got some great tweets, some funny tweets up there. And he also, you know, retweets all of our, uh, episodes so you can, you can get them there. Okay guys. Thanks. We'll see you next week.